You're listening to Rivercast, brought to you by River of Life Church in Gilderland, New York. Now here's Pastor Steve. Good morning. Welcome to River. Um, uh, this is my not my first time um, up here uh, doing a sermon, but it has been a while. So um, I might be a little rusty, but that's okay. Uh, it was an interesting time, actually, to be asked to do the teaching uh, because the way it fell in the calendar, it's right after Easter. That's sort of a t- tough act to follow. Um, when you're asked to preach the week after Easter, kind of how am I going to do this and, and still, you know, live up to that? Um, you know, how do you preach the week after the most important holiday in the Christian calendar? Uh, So as I thought about it this week, and I studied a little bit, and I looked through the Bible to kind of decide what to talk about, I felt, you know what, Um, why don't we just stick with the Bible and kind of follow where it went? Um, And so I think that this morning we're going to look at John chapter 21. Um, After the resurrection, as you guys know, Jesus appeared in the Gospels a, a number of times to different people. Um, John tells us he appeared to the disciples as a group three times. And this is the third time that he did that. Um, I call it the last breakfast. Um, we're all used to the last supper, right? But um, Jesus actually, Jesus did a breakfast with some of his disciples on the shore of the Sea of Galilee in John chapter 21. Um, very often, a lot of us just focus on the piece of this Um, account that deals with uh, Peter, because there's a specific section here where Peter is renewed, where Peter is redeemed. Um, And that's an important part, and we're going to talk about that this morning. But I think it's a part of this account. I think there's actually a lot more that we can dig out of this, that John is relaying this account to us, because there's a lot we can learn about Jesus through this. Jesus leaves his disciples um, with a number of just like he was always teaching them. Uh, uh, Very often in your Bible, it may actually say, um, under chapter 21, it might say epilogue. And that's been something that's been tossed around a number of times too. Um, Sometimes people say, oh, well, this was an epilogue. It's a story that was sort of added later. Um, I don't necessarily believe that from everything I've kind of researched and everything I've read. Um, This is done still in John's hand. It's still done... Um, in John's style, as well as all of the oldest first century accounts of the Gospel of John have this in it. Um, What you need to understand, and this is kind of where the literature nerd in me comes in, um, as Dan said, I was a high school teacher for a number of years, about a decade, I was actually an English teacher. Um, And in English literature, epilogue doesn't necessarily mean it was added later, it means that it's a, uh, it means that it's a last piece, a last chapter that concludes and wraps things up, right? And I think that you're going to see by the end of, uh, of our teaching today that that's exactly what John's doing here. And if he hadn't told us this beautiful account of the breakfast on the beach, um, it wouldn't have necessarily wrapped things up as nicely as this piece does, um, as well as it teaches us three or four extra lessons um, and reinforces them about Jesus and about our relationship with Jesus. And so that's kind of what we're going to get into today as we look at John chapter 21. Um, Before we do that, let's just open in prayer. Uh, Father, we just thank you, Lord, for loving us. We thank you for the opportunity to get together. Um, There's a lot of people in countries around the world that don't have this opportunity to freely assemble, um, to share their faith, Lord, to share your word. And we thank you for that opportunity, Lord. We ask that you just open our minds, you open our hearts, 
and you allow us to just um, accept your wisdom, Lord, and to see into your teaching today, um, and that you bless us in our fellowship, Lord. Uh, we love you, and we just ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, so the first section of John 21 that we're going to talk that we're going to talk about is just a few verses, um, and it reads, starting in verse one. Later, Jesus appeared again to the disciples beside the Sea of Galilee. This is how it happened: several of the disciples were there: Simon Peter, Thomas, nicknamed the twin, Nathaniel from Canaan in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples. Simon Peter said, I'm going fishing. We'll come too, they all said. So they went out in the boat, but they caught nothing all night. This brings us to our first point here, the first lesson I think that's being taught um, that we can get out of that. And that lesson is Jesus comes to those who seek him. Uh, that's what these disciples are doing here. They're seeking Jesus. It doesn't seem, I know, because... Peter decides to go fishing, right? Um, I've seen this taught in a number of ways. I've seen some that, that read this and say, oh, well, Peter kind of backstepped. He kind of fell back into what he used to do. But it's important anytime that we're um, deciphering the Bible, when we're reading it, when we're trying to understand it, that we look for um, areas of the Bible that, that connect to that. We look for it not just in one verse, but we look for it in a number of them, right? And if we want to know what the disciples are doing here on the, in the Sea of Galilee, then we can look to Mark. In the Gospel of Mark, chapter 14, Jesus, as he was telling the disciples about the fact that he was going to die and he was going to be resurrected, he told them, after I'm resurrected, meet me at the Sea of Galilee. I will come to you at the Sea of Galilee. Um, also, Later on in Mark 16, after Jesus is resurrected, when the women come to the tomb and it's empty and there's an angel there, the angel says, go tell everyone, tell the disciples, including Peter, and Jesus will meet them at the Sea of Galilee. So the disciples had not run off to the Sea of Galilee to, because they didn't know what was going on. They decided to, run, to go back to fishing. The disciples returned to the Sea of Galilee because they'd been told Jesus would meet them there. They're seeking Jesus in this moment. They went back to where Jesus told them he would meet them. Now, they've seen him twice already. But they know he's going to come to the Sea of Galilee. He told them. The angel told them as well. That it, was at the, it was at the empty tomb. So they're at the Sea of Galilee on a beach waiting for Jesus, right? We all know Peter. Peter is sort of a man of action, right? Peter's, sometimes Peter's downfall is he tends to act without thinking through so, so much, right? We've seen that in a number of places. Um, just days before this, he cut somebody's ear off because he was such a man of action, right? So they're sitting on a beach with really nothing to do. They may be hungry, I can't really tell what Peter's motivation is for it, but we do know Peter's a fisherman. So Peter says, hey, we're sitting around fishing, right? We can get something to eat. If nothing else, we can get some fish. We might be able to sell it, right? Matter of fact, there's seven disciples named here, and we know that at least three of them were fishermen. Peter and both James and John, the sons of Zebedee, when Jesus met all of them, they were fishing, so, 
Peter, of course, and still being somewhat kind of a leader in his own right, says, let's go fishing. And the others go, yep, all right, sounds great, Peter, let's go. And they jump into the boat, um, and they go out and fish all night. The important thing kind of here to notice, though, like I said, is that the disciples are there seeking Jesus. They're there because he, was told, that he told them that he would be there, and so they're looking for Jesus. Um, the other part of this to recognize is that I think it's important to look at who the disciples are that are there. John lists five out of the seven for us. Uh, these are not perfect people. When we think about seeking Jesus, too often I hear the excuse that people think that they have to get their life perfect before they can seek Jesus. People will say, well, you know, when I get, when I get some stuff straightened up in my own life, when I, when I deal with some of my things, then I'll go back to church. Right? People think that they need to get right first and then come to Jesus. Instead of understanding that Jesus is the one that's going to help you make it right. And here we have disciples, men who follow Jesus, and none of them are perfect. Right? We have James and John, the sons of Zebedee, the sons of thunder, as they were sometimes called, right? We know they had a bit of a temper. They could be a bit fiery in their youth, right? And there's a few places where you could see that in the Gospels and, and uh, Jesus addressing them. Um, we also see Thomas. Literally, the passage before this doubted Jesus. The disciples said, hey, Jesus showed up. He was resurrected and he came to us. And Thomas said, I won't believe it to see it with my own eyes. And Jesus had to show up and prove it to him and kind of rebuke him, right, and teach him a lesson. And so now we've got Thomas here too. We also have Nathaniel. Nathaniel doesn't pop up a whole lot, but you guys remember Nathaniel. He was the guy that when Jesus was first calling the disciples, the disciples went and told Nathaniel about him, and Nathaniel's response was, does anything good come out of Nazareth? <laughs> That's a little bit judgmental, right? <laughs> a little bit sarcastic. Um, you know, he kind of had an idea in his mind, and that was his first response. Um, so, you have a number of people who were not perfect people who were following Jesus here, right? Lastly, we have Peter mentioned. Just days before, Peter had denied Jesus three times. Pretty much to save his own skin. Because he was afraid, right? That Jesus had been arrested, he'd been brought in questioning. And people said, hey, aren't you one of the guys that have been with Jesus? And Peter went, no, no, I don't know him. I don't know who you're talking about. I wasn't with that guy. And he does it three times, even after Jesus told them he was going to do it. So you have people here that are not perfect people who are following and seeking Jesus. They didn't wait to get their lives right. Peter didn't say, I better get things all settled before I go and try to find Jesus again. Um, so, the interesting part here, too, is we only have five of the, of the seven disciples named. There are two that it just says, two other disciples. We could probably sit around all day and try to figure out who they are. Um, kind of the philosophy I've always done is that if 
Bible names or tells us something, then it's important, and I think that's good. If it's silent on something, it's probably okay too, and it was probably meant to be silent on something. Right? Um, John doesn't mention the other two disciples, and I think there's a reason for that too, because to be honest, it's not necessarily important. It could be anybody. If you follow this tracking of who these five were that it mentions, these other two disciples could be you and me. There's a number of us here who've dealt with pride, who've dealt with um, judgment, who've dealt with doubt, who've dealt with anger, who've dealt with the same things that some of these disciples have dealt with and could be here on the beach seeking Jesus. I think that's important to understand because, again, we need to break this false teaching that we can't come to church unless we're perfect, or that the people that sit here in the church are perfect, because we're all always seeking Jesus, right? And Jesus shows up in many different ways when we're seeking him. Um, Myself, I was not fishing. I am a fisherman. I do like to fish. I get it from my father. My brothers are both fishermen. Um, but uh, when I started seeking Jesus, I was working construction. I was in my early 20s. I had uh, just gotten out of the Army, um, and I was working construction on telecommunication sites, building and testing cell phone towers all over the country. Um, the great thing about construction is you don't spend a whole lot of money because you're out of town all the time, and so your paycheck goes into your account, and you don't really spend money because your meals are paid for by companies, right? So you're able to save money, which is great. The downside of traveling so much is it gets boring really fast. There's only so many nights you can sit in a hotel room and watch cable before your brain starts to rot, all right? Um, and I had been working construction for a few years, and I finally got sick of the TV and things, and I said, I gotta do something different. And there happened to be a Walmart right next to my hotel. Um, I will never forget, I was in Piscataway, New Jersey. Uh, if anyone's ever been to Piscataway, there's not much besides a Walmart and a Motel 6 where I was staying. Um, so I walked across the parking lot to the Walmart in Piscataway, New Jersey, and I'm looking in, um, the book section for something to read, and there's a Bible, uh, a King James Bible, large print, because I don't want to squint. Um, and I said, ah, you know what, I'll buy it. I've gone to church most of my life. I was, I'd gone to Catholic church. I had been um, confirmed in my teenage years. Um, and actually, even up to the year prior to this, I had taught Sunday school at the Catholic church. Um, so church was not new to me. Um, but I would make the argument that Jesus was. Because I understood I had the knowledge of some things, but I didn't have the understanding and the knowledge of Jesus. I had not been seeking Jesus um, until I bought that Bible and I started reading it. And in that step, I was seeking Jesus, and Jesus came to me. Jesus showed up. All of a sudden, for the first time, and I had read the Bible a number of times, for the first time as I'm reading this, it's making sense. It's connecting. I understood what it meant. And all of a sudden, it became, I became a sponge. I couldn't put it down. The poor guy, I remember my partner at the time was 46 years old, and we drove in pairs, and he drove all day, and I, I used the navigator. 
because he used to be a truck driver, so he liked to drive and I would navigate. This was before GPS. This was back when we had atlases, like the books you had to open and actually follow the roads. And so in between having to give him directions, if we were on a highway for three hours, right, I'm reading the Bible, and the entire time I'm going, hey, did you know this? Hey, did you know this? Did you know it says this? And this poor guy is just like, yeah, uh-huh, uh-huh, right? Um, as I'm reading through this. But it was through that step of seeking Jesus that Jesus showed up, and that's how I was saved. Many, some people are saved because it was, the gospel was shared with them. Some people are saved because they had an experience where they first encountered Jesus. I was saved because the Bible shared it with me. I was reading the Bible, and Jesus opened up my eyes. He opened up my heart. And from that time on, I soon left my church, the Catholic church, um, just because I started to see things that didn't necessarily match up. I'm not a Catholic basher by any means. I still know a lot of people, a lot of family members that go to the church. I know people who I'd even saved that have gone to go to the Catholic church. Um, but for me, there was things in there that didn't necessarily match up. Um, very soon after that, I felt a call to ministry. I felt something very strong on my heart that God wanted me to teach this the rest of my life. And I met with my priest, who I'd known since I was 12 years old, and I said, this is what I feel. Um, and he was actually very supportive about it. I met with a number of other priests that were in vocation, as they call it, in the Catholic Church, which is basically means when you're going to be a priest for life. Um, and they all said, yeah, we think you have a call coming. We think that you're being called to do this. And I said to my priest, well, that's great. And I pushed the Bible in front of him, and I said, I want a family. I want a wife. I'd like to have children. Can you show me there in the Bible where it says I can't do that? And honestly and very sympathetically, the priest, Father Tony, said, uh, it's not in there. He goes, I can't show it to you because it's not in there. It's a rule that was made later in the church. He said, I never wanted a family, so it wasn't a big deal for me. And then he said, this is not the Catholic answer, Steve. He said, but as someone who knows you and has known you since you were a boy, I would not respect you any less if you went to another church to be a minister. That was probably one of the most honest, unselfish answers that he could have given me. Because I don't know very many of a Catholic priest telling somebody, go to another church. So I was able to go and find other people that helped. Jesus then put a lot of people in my path that helped me in my Christian walk. Um, but it all started because I was seeking him, just like the disciples are here on this beach. Uh, and that kind of brings us into the next piece. Um, we see at dawn, Jesus was standing at the beach but the disciples couldn't see who he was. He called out, Fellows, have you caught any fish? No, they replied. Then he said, Throw out your net on the right side of the boat, and you'll get some. So they did, and they couldn't haul in the net because there were so many fish. This kind of brings us to the next point, the lesson I think we can pull out of this account from John. And that's that Jesus directs those who trust in him. Peter had a good idea. We mentioned that a little bit earlier. Peter said, let's go fishing. We're sitting here waiting for Jesus. 
let's do, let's go fishing. We got to eat. We know how to fish. We're waiting here anyway, right? Um, Peter and at least half these disciples, as we mentioned, were experienced fishermen. They had learned the skills. They knew the tricks of the trade, as it were. So they go out and fish all night. That was not uncommon. On the Sea of Galilee especially, they fish at nighttime. The fish are more active. They bite more. But also, if you're a trade fisherman who makes his living on this, you want to deliver the most fresh fish to the market in the morning you can. That would be the fish you just caught during the night. right? You don't want to catch them the day before and let them sit all night and then bring them to the market. So they normally fish at night. So to be fishing at night was not uncommon here. It actually would have been the habit that they had. So they fished all night and didn't catch anything. Um, in the morning when Jesus arrives, he kind of directs them. He tells them, hey, first off, he says, hey, fellows, some, some places in the Bible or some translations say children. Sometimes people say lads. It's basically like, hey, guys, did you catch anything? And they're like, no. Uh, Jesus asked that on purpose because before he directs them, he wants to point out what they did without him. Right, you've been fishing all night. You guys are skilled fishermen. Did you happen to catch anything? Nope, we didn't. And it says here that they didn't recognize Jesus. That's not uncommon either. Um, it says a little bit later here in chapter 21 that they were 200 cubits off the shore. It's about 100 yards. So they were a football field away from where Jesus was standing. And it's early morning. I got to be honest with you, even with my contacts in, I don't know if I could recognize someone standing a football field off the shore when I'm in a boat, um, you know, unless they were really dressed in something I was expecting. Um, and as we know here, it even says in some of the other places where Jesus makes himself known to people after the resurrection, at first they don't necessarily recognize him. So that's not uncommon either, right? So they think it's just kind of a guy. Hey guys, you catch anything? Nope. Um, he's pointing out their failure without him. This is what they did when they didn't have Jesus with them. So then Jesus decides to direct them. And he says, hey guys, throw your nets over the, the, over the right side of the boat. You'll catch fish. Um, and they're smart enough to trust. They just go, okay, let's try it. Uh, this kind of seems silly. Anybody that knows of boats in the time of Galilee, they're about 20 feet long. They're only about seven feet wide. So they're literally throwing the net seven feet from where they just threw it. But they follow and they throw the net and of course they pull up a bunch of fish. Um, it's at that point too, as you see in the gospel, it's at that point that John recognizes who it is. He doesn't necessarily recognize Jesus from sight because he's so far away. Just like we don't necessarily, we may not see Jesus visually all the time, but we can recognize him by what he's doing in our life. And John recognizes Jesus by what he just did. Uh, if you recall, and I would urge you for time's sake to go back and read through, but if you recall, this is very similar to an earlier thing that happened to the disciples with Jesus. Um, much earlier in his ministry when he was with the disciples. Um, and he helps them catch fish. But John recognizes that piece. Jesus wants to direct your life. 
right? We've seen that Jesus comes to those who seek him. Now Jesus directs those who trust in him. Um, they trusted in him. They threw it over the, the side, and he uh, responded, and he blessed them for it. Um, so he wants to direct our life. That sounds really easy. Okay, well, we should just let Jesus direct our lives. Unfortunately, it actually seems really hard for some of us. We have a, a hard time letting Jesus direct our lives. Why is it? I'm not sure I can necessarily answer that. Um, I know in my life, there's been times when I was pig-headed. There's been times when I've been stubborn. Um, there's been times when I was prideful. Um, I like to be right. Anybody else like to be right? Yeah, I see a few honest people in here. Yep, right? Um, as a teenager, I like to be right even more. <laughs> when I was a teenager, I didn't just like to be right. I knew I was right. Um, I, I would have, you know, I, I was blessed to have a very wise mother who was always willing to give me advice, who was always willing to kind of talk things over with me, to point out what the right thing to do was. Rarely did I listen. Even though looking back, about 90% of the time she was probably right. Right? But at the time, I knew I was, and I liked to be right. If she told me to fish off the right side of the boat, I would have fished off the left day long. Just because I knew what was right. So it's, sometimes we have to overcome our own side, our own issues, to be able to listen and trust in Jesus. Um, I loved my mom. I respected my mom. But I trusted in my mom. Because if I had trusted in her more than myself, I would have listened. And that's what we need to do with Jesus. We need to listen to what Jesus is telling us, listen to where Jesus is directing us, and then follow that. That's trusting in him. If we listen to where we think Jesus is telling us, and then we do what we want anyway, that's not trusting. To have faith in Jesus is to do just that. We have to trust Jesus over ourselves. We have to set aside our pride, our self-importance. We need to realize that Jesus knows what's best and is our best in mind. Um, we need to read the word. How do we trust in Jesus? We need to read the word. We need to pray daily. We need to listen to God to make sure that it's his will, not just what we want. Um, as we just saw with even the fishing here in this account, if Jesus isn't in it, it's not going to be successful. And that's anything in our own lives. It's anything in ministry as well. We move on to verse 7. I'm checking my time here. I don't want to run late. Um, if I run late on the first time, they'll never let me do this again. Um, then the disciple Jesus loved said to Peter, It's the Lord. He recognized when Simon Peter heard that was the Lord, he put on his tunic, for he had stripped for work, um, jumped into the water, and headed to shore. The others stayed with the boat and pulled the, the loaded net to shore, for they were only about a hundred yards from shore. There, they found breakfast waiting for them, fish cooking over a charcoal fire, and some bread. To the third lesson that we can pull from this in the, this morning, and that's Jesus calls us to relationship. Sharing a meal together, especially in Christ's time, is a very intimate thing. Even now, it's, it's, it's something when you invite somebody over 
for, for a meal. That's kind of a sign of friendship. It's a sign of camaraderie, right? It's a sign you want to spend time with them. But in Jesus' time, you didn't just show up at a cafeteria or at a Burger King and eat with somebody, right? It was a very intimate experience. You sat and ate with people you trusted. Um, you a lot of times ate with your fingers and grabbed stuff off the same plates, that takes a lot of intimacy and a lot of uh, trust in people, right? If the next time you went to dinner, you went out to a restaurant and knew that the people sitting next to you could reach over and start grabbing stuff off your plate, you might rethink where you eat. <laughs> um, and, and that was kind of the situation here. It's a very intimate thing to be called to relationship, uh, to be called to a meal with somebody. Um, you relaxed, you shared food off your own plates. Um, it, was, it was a close relationship. Um, and Jesus is calling the disciples here to breakfast. Show up and he's already got breakfast on. He's prepared a spot for them to be in relationship with him. There's also another piece to this. Not only was calling somebody to eat a meal with you an intimate act of having a relationship and camaraderie and um, fellowship with somebody, but also there's another meaning for this culture that applies even today. To offer to have a meal with someone who had wronged you was a public sign that you had forgiven them. Who had wronged Jesus here? Well, to be honest with you, everybody in this group had wronged Jesus. We've all wronged Jesus, right? Specifically, just a few days before this, Peter had publicly announced that he didn't know who Jesus was. So now, not only is Jesus calling everyone, all of these disciples to eat with him, to share fellowship with him, to have this relationship with him, but part of it also is he's publicly saying, I forgive all of these people. I forgive all of you. And when Jesus calls us to relationship, it's also part of that publicly Jesus saying, I forgive you. We've all wronged Jesus. We've probably all wronged Jesus this morning. If you got up and lost your temper, stubbed your toe and said some words you shouldn't have, right? Um, the thought lost your mind that wasn't perfect. You, you've already wronged God in some way. But Jesus points out here that you can come to him in relationship. Those who seek him those who trust in him, you can come to him in relationship and there's forgiveness in that. There's reconciliation in that. Um, he wants to have a close, intimate relationship with us, even though we've wronged God in many ways. So that mean, runs us into the last piece here. Uh, picking up in verse 15, after breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, Peter said, you know I love you. Then feed my lambs, Jesus said. Jesus repeated the question, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, Peter said, you know Then take care of my sheep, Jesus said. A third time he asked, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt that Jesus asked the question a third time. He said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said, then feed my sheep. I tell you the truth, when you were young, you were able to do as you liked. You dressed yourself and went where you wanted to go. But when you're old, you'll stretch out your hands and others will dress you and take you where you don't want to go. 
Jesus said this to let him know by what death he would glorify God. Then Jesus told him, follow me. The last piece here, the last point or the last lesson I want to point out is that Jesus renews us. When we seek Jesus, when we trust in Jesus, when we have a relationship with Jesus, Jesus uses that to renew us. Um, Here, he's specifically renewing Peter. But through this account, we can also see how he can renew us as well. Um, Jesus speaks directly to Peter here. And there's no no, um, coincidence in the way he does it. The way he questioned Peter was very purposeful. First, Jesus addresses him as Simon, son of John. Everywhere else in this chapter and in most of the Gospels here, you have Peter even mentioned, either mentioned as Simon, Peter, or Peter. Here Jesus addresses him as Simon, son of John. Um, it's very formal. Um, it's, to, it's very serious. It's to get his attention. Um, I knew when I was a kid, if my parents used my full name, I was, it was in trouble. Right, if my parents yelled out the back door, Stephen, I was like, eh, they want me, I probably started heading back that way, right? But if my mother yelled out the back door, Stephen Douglas Hall III, I better be at the back door before she finishes that last piece. Um, it was more serious when she was using my given full name. Um, Jesus here starts it with Simon, son of John. It's not Peter, it's Simon, son of John. And I think that's to just show the importance of this conversation, to show the importance of his question, to get his attention. Um, He then asked the question three times. Uh, We mentioned it a little bit earlier. This is kind of an area that gets focused on a lot anyway. Um, He's giving Peter the chance to redeem the three times that he um, denied Jesus. He denied Jesus three times. Now, to say he loves Jesus three times. There's a redemption, there's a redeeming, a renewing of that. Um, This is the process of forgiveness, right? Uh, Jesus is recognizing the sin, addressing, and then he's going to move on. He's going to to forgive and redeem and renew Peter in this instance. Uh, On the table here. He not only asks him, do you love me, three times, and gives him that opportunity, he then follows it with a command and says, then feed my sheep. Right? Starts off with feed my lambs, then take care of my sheep, then feed my sheep. He wants to focus on not only the forgiveness, but the renewing, the new call that he's now giving. He's now giving Peter a new commission. He's giving him a new um, instruction. Right? So not only did he forgive him, but now he's given him a new ministry. He's given him something new to do. Um, Peter's being commissioned here as a shepherd because he keeps telling him about the sheep. Right? Um, in Latin, it's the word pastor. Right? It's where we get that from. Uh, pastor, meaning shepherd, obviously, dealing with sheep. Uh, and he pointed this out, and he does it three times because was still not thinking in a manner that was going to make him successful to this call. 
right? How does a shepherd guide a flock? Normally from the rear. A shepherd usually has the sheep in front of them so he can see where they're going. He uses the crook, the long staff with the hook, to kind of push it, right? In the Middle East still, if they don't have a crook, they have kind of a baton that they kind of do this with and they kind of guide the sheep in the right way so they can see if any of them get off the path. They can see if any of them fall and have to be picked up. They can also see from the rear and the front if there's any enemies or wolves coming to get the sheep. But it's all about the sheep with the, with the, with the shepherd at the back kind of guiding and allowing the sheep to do the work. Allowing the sheep to graze, to feed, to go in the way that in. But when Peter first saw Jesus here and John said, hey, it's Jesus on the shore, what was Peter's response? He's like, yeah, jumped in, swam to Jesus, left everybody else behind in the boat to pull the fish in, to, to come back, right? Now, he was excited to see Jesus, but at the same time, he was still kind of Peter first. And Jesus is pointing out here that this is, there's a new calling here. And a new way that you're going to have to do things. Um, I think that Peter gets this. Because later, if we see 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 through 3, I don't have it up here, I'll just read it for you. Um, Peter tells people later in life, As a fellow elder, I appeal to you, care for the flock that God has entrusted to you. Watch over it willingly, not grudgingly. Not for what you'll get out of it, but because you're eager to serve God. Don't lord it over the people assigned to your care, but lead them Thanks by your ultimate example. Join us on Sundays at so 9.30 and 11 or online at riveralbany.com. But there was a piece to this that, that, that Peter needed to understand. If he was going to be a leader, if he was going to be taking care of, of the flock, of, of, of God's people, he needed to kind of understand the proper way to do that and the proper heart to have for that as well. So, as we wrap up today, I challenge you this week to think and pray on the lessons that Jesus gave Peter and the disciples on the beach in Galilee. That is actually a picture of the Sea of Galilee. Um, that's kind of similar to what you might have seen this morning. Um, think about the lessons. Jesus comes to those who seek him. Jesus directs those who trust in him. Jesus calls into us into relationship, and Jesus renews us. He renewed Peter through that understanding, that repairing of the relationship, and then he gave him a new calling. He sent him out on his way. Um, and interestingly enough, and this is kind of the epilogue piece I started with, where I said that an epilogue kind of wraps things up and concludes things, we now have a conclusion to Peter's denial, which we wouldn't have had without this. We would have just seen Peter in Acts preaching to thousands of people and said, wait a second, the last time we saw this guy, he was telling people they didn't know Jesus. But now we see the middle piece to kind of fix that. And also the beautiful thing is Jesus wraps this up by telling the disciples and telling Peter, follow me. A few years before this, Jesus met some of these disciples on the same, this same lake, the same Sea of Galilee. He met them very, probably very close to this spot. James, John, Peter, Andrew, who'd come over from John the Baptist. He met these fishermen and he said, follow me. Now, three or four years later, 
He's in almost the same spot with the same guys. And his last commandment to them right in this spot is, follow me. No matter where we're at with Jesus, whether we're just coming to know Jesus, whether we're growing Christian, which we all should always be, whether we think we're kind of mature in our Christian walk, Jesus' Jesus' command is always the same, follow me. And we should kind of think on that as we wrap up as well. If you're listening today or you're here and you're online at home and you've yet to put your faith in Jesus, I encourage you, um, while we close in prayer, just ask Jesus for forgiveness. Ask him for salvation. Ask him to come into your heart. Um, he'll come in and, and, and he'll come into your heart if you're seeking him. Then please, if you're here you can talk to Pastor Dan, pray with Pastor Dan. You can come talk to me if you like afterwards. But talk to somebody after the service. Um, let's wrap up. Father, we thank you, Lord, for this time together. Um, we thank you for the opportunities you give us, Lord. We thank you for the people who seek you, Lord. We thank you for the fact that you direct those who trust in you, Lord. We thank, to the fact, thank you for the fact that you call us into relationship and that you're constantly renewing us, Lord. Uh, we love you, Lord. We just ask that you be with uh, Sean and Susan. Is there over with, in Maine right now with Susan's mom? Um, Lord, that you be with all of our friends and family and the community in the area um, and that you would constantly draw them closer to you. We love you, and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a great week, everybody. Uh, We'll see you next Sunday, unless you're in life groups, which start this week.